I'm LZ Granderson, and this is Life Out Loud. I'm Samantha. You know, whenever anyone asks which Sex in the City character I am, the people who don't really know me think I'm Carrie because we're both writers. But the folks who know me best, they all say I'm Samantha. And they're probably not wrong. I'm a trisexual. I'll try anything once. All these years later, and that show still resonates. It's not perfect. A lot of the episodes don't hold up. I get it. But the show itself, it still resonates. In fact, Sherry Kohler brought it up in our conversation about bisexuality on this week's episode of Life Out Loud. The actress and stand-up comedian plays a first-generation Asian-American woman by the name of Alice in the hit TV show Good Trouble. Who clogs the toilet with a ton waste of paper? Are you kidding? We're supposed to be sharing resources, not, not just flushing it down the toilet, okay? Sherry said it was an episode of Sex in the City that helped her understand herself better. She also figured out that I have way more Samantha tendencies in me than, you know, I like to admit, which is quite disturbing. Anyway, Sherry, who is Chinese-American, spoke a lot about the importance of queer representation in media, whether it's her character of Alice or her role model growing up, the great Margaret Cho. Sherry also spent time talking about the impact of anti-Asian violence as well as her community's response to it. Oh yeah, people, we go there. Actually, we go a lot of places. Some of which ended up on the cutting room floor because, let's just say, Miss Sherry Cola, she has a lot more Samantha in her than I do in me. Sherry, 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 where have you been all of my life? Like, Oh, honey, honey, <laughs> honey, honey. The feeling is mutual. I mean, they're trying to keep us away from each other because it'd be too explosive in a good way. You know, it's like Diet Coke and Mentos, you and me. <laughs> I'm now processing that flavor. Intellectually, I'm rejecting it. No, babe, it explodes. You When you put a Mentos inside Diet Coke, it like pops like champagne. But if you put it inside like a regular Coke, what happens to it? I don't think anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm so serious when I when I say where have you been all my life because as I am now processing your uh, incredible show in addition to your stand-up act I keep asking myself why hasn't she been famous for like 20 years she is so amazing oh my goodness that's so sweet that's honestly so sweet you know your girl's out here grinding hustling uh, you know, I've had the comedy passion for a long time, but I didn't actually fully start pursuing it until later in life, which is why, you know, you're, you're barely hearing about me now. Well, I don't think you're going away anytime soon, but I'm really curious. We start every conversation with the question, but I had to give you the glow up first, give you your flowers because they were in my hand. <laughs> um, but we just asked a simple question. When did you realize that bisexuality was a thing? Oh my goodness. Um, that's actually the best question. Well, this is going to be a very short podcast. <laughs> no, we're going 24 hours, babe. We're 24 hours <laughs> straight on this podcast. Um, to be honest, I remember that episode of Sex in the City. Remember? And it was that very cute guy who... Yes, with Samantha? No, no. Oh, no, the guy with Carrie. Yes, and and, and to be honest, you know, that yes. conversation around bisexuality in that episode doesn't really hold up. Um, <laughs> you think? <laughs> even though, uh, you know, Sex and the City is definitely one of my favorite shows of all time, you know, still quote it to this day. But there are some moments that did not age well, <laughs> um, including that episode. I'm not even sure bisexuality exists. I, I think it's just a, a 
layover on the way to Gay Town. But I remember that episode uh, because it was a really hot guy. Yep. In that like spin the bottle scene, um, where Carrie kisses a girl and she just realizes it's not for her, and you know the stigma around a guy being bisexual. I mean, listen, we've come a long way, right, since that conversation. Um, and I and I love the uh validation of bisexuality now. You know, it's. I am who I am, you know, I'm attracted to uh, men and women, you know, people, uh, same gender and opposite gender, etc. You know what I mean? Like, it really is about uh, love at the end of the day. Like, you know, we don't want to be put in a box. Um, why limit love, you know, and I think that's what I've always been about. Um, but I'm trying to think if there was, well, obviously, I mean, 100% Margaret Cho as a bisexual uh, female Asian American stand up comic that literally is me. And I remember relating to her um, when I was younger watching her stand up, you know, and I recently got to work with her on Good Trouble. So that was a dream come true just to share the screen with someone um, who I watched for so many years and I still look up to. Uh, but yeah, I think there were little moments of, you know, bisexuality uh, in in the media, very few Asian queerness representation um but in terms of bisexuality in real life and i remember the moment that i had that epiphany like oh wow i'm attracted to women as well as men uh i think i was 20 and there was this girl who i had a big crush on and i was just so blown away by just it was, she was a breath of fresh air you know and and just openly bisexual, you know, she was just like kind of a player in a sense, right? She was like dating all these girls. It was just known that she was out here living her best life, if you will. I think what it was, was the 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 comfort in your own skin, being so sure of who you are. You know, I think that is so attractive and such a turn on that I was just so infatuated by her. Uh, so this girl just completely opened up my eyes to this new world, this new uh, possibility, you know? and. Um, from then on, you know, I had the moment where I, where I told my best friend, I was like, oh my goodness, I think I have a crush on so-and-so. And I was just in tears because it was, I mean, it was a new awakening, you know? This was a, a, a new uh, confession to myself, you know, something I maybe have been avoiding for years. Who knows, you know? I, I finally realized, wow, I'm attracted to emotionally and physically, sexually to women um as well as men and and i just remember being so emotional because I, I was facing it you know i was facing the music oh this is a new new life um you know there's there's this new layer of myself that i'm learning to embrace um and in 2021 i'm, I'm fully fully embracing it yeah when i came out mm -hmm. and i was in a heterosexual marriage mm. and i had a child mm -hmm. and for a lot of people, they think I present like a heterosexual, right? Sure. And so when I first came out, I told people I was bisexual because that's what made sense to me at the time. Sure. And like none of my gay male friends went for it. They never mm -hmm. bought it. They never believed me. Now, I'm going to assume that the conversation about bisexuality is a lot further along. Right. But my question to you is, what does our community, the L and the G and the T and the Q, what do we get wrong still about bisexuality? Well, you know, I think the the taboo, the stigma, the stereotype around bisexuality for so long was that, oh, they just, or they're just greedy or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? I'm like, 
Well, I I like French fries and I also like hash browns. Why can't I have both? You know, well, which one do you like better? I don't know. Equally. I like them equally. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know how to answer that question because a lot of people in the past did always ask like, well, who do you think you're going to end up with? I really don't know. And I am, for the most part, very monogamous. So I'm almost upset that I can't have both. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm also such a hopeless romantic and an, an overnight <laughs> faller. <laughs> so I really have no idea because every day I'm just in love with someone new. <laughs> um, but I'll be waiting for my phone call later. <laughs> yes, honey, <laughs> check your voicemails. Um, <laughs> there, there are two stereotypes that are completely invalid, right? When it comes to bisexuality, it's like, well, not two, there are many. But in one case, it's men, when you say you're bisexual, you're most likely gay. You're just, this is just uh, like, this is just a door, like an excuse, a, a, a middle ground, a bridge into full homosexuality. That's what they say about men, which is completely wrong, which is why it's so cool to have a show like Good Trouble that, you know, validates bisexuality, even even with Gael, a character like Gael, who's bisexual. We only have one child now, one son who hasn't brought shame on us. You know what? If Jasmine is no longer your child because she's trans, then I guess you have no children at all. Because I'm bisexual. And he's also not the the very ignorant-minded view of a, a bisexual man because, you know, a lot of the public who, who they don't know about um, the LGBTQ plus community, they assume that a guy must be very feminine, right? To to right. be into men, you know, et cetera. We know all the stereotypes and we know it's all BS. And the other side of it, when a female is bisexual, people are like, okay, it's just a phase. You just, <laughs> you just want attention or something. You know what I mean? You just want to make out with girls and not actually settle down with one. All that BS, you know? So people for so long have tried to die, have tried to define bisexual people and they don't even get it, you know? Like they don't let us define ourselves because they're constantly putting, you know, uh, labels and, and, and expectations on us. But listen, there's no correct way to be bisexual. You just, you are and, and, and it's a way of life. And, you know, I fully embrace it and... You know, it's, it's what I've identified as for so long, you know? Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you believe Hollywood is ready to cast bisexual actresses and actors in the sense of one film, you may be in a relationship with a woman, and then two films later, you're in a relationship, a romantic relationship with a man? Do you believe Hollywood would cast you like that, or do you believe that you will be typecast? That's a really, really good question. I think about that a lot um, because it all goes back to the way our minds were brainwashed, essentially right? With gender norms and societal norms and, and just, you know, how people perceive a heterosexual woman, right? Because you can present 
not very feminine, but still be heterosexual. You know what I mean? And it's like the way I present, if you will, um, the heteronormative structure of a typical brain doesn't see me as hetero off the bat, if that makes any sense, you know, like it's so complex, right? LZ, like it just, it's so complex. Like I think I do go out for a lot of queer roles. I can tell you that. And what happens? I, I don't know. I truly don't even know. Like it's so hard to answer this question because I feel like people do see me a certain way yet there are moments where I, I'm seen another way and I prove them wrong. You know what I mean? So it, it's weird. I think I'm currently very um, versatile. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell that means either. I really don't know. I think I'm, I'm slowly trying to prove that I can do it all, period, right? Because it's like, well, in real life, I am attracted to men. I date men and women. So I should be able to uh, play a straight character or a gay character or a bi character, right? I mean... Because I know those experiences. Right. You should. But you're you're asking Hollywood to trust that the audience will be at a place that our own community is just arriving at. Right. Right. That's deep. Because I think everyone's mind is trained to see. Well, I mean, listen, this is clearly stressful for me to even think about because there's <laughs> no right answer. This is right? supposed to be joyous. I'm no, so no, no, sorry but, but... for freaking all this. I didn't mean to trigger you with my casting questions. No, because love, it is so complex to unpack because it's like, okay, well, can, um, like the question of straight people playing queer people, right? Right. Or, or there's also the conversation of like, I think gay people can absolutely play straight people and can straight people play gay people? It, well, it depends on, it really, everything all depends, right? Like it all depends on the situation. And then I think I can definitely play a straight person, even though I'm not straight, but because I hold that experience of dating men, yeah, you know no, what I mean? No, I, I, it's so like, it's so, it's so, it's so layered and complex. I've always thought that rationale was so flawed when it came to whether you're talking about Hollywood and film and television, where you're talking about the advertising industry with commercials, like this idea of questioning if an openly gay person or a lesbian can play a straight person. It's like, we've been faking the funk for like a hundred years. <laughs> Listen, Like, why would right. you even question our ability to, yeah. to blend in? <laughs> yeah, and I think I've had this conversation with casting directors as well. And it's like, I think because for so long, these marginalized communities were not given the opportunities and not given the chances. I mean, we had completely cis gender folks playing trans right you know what i mean and it's like because uh like you know i think people in the lgbtq plus community can do whatever the f they want (laughs) because for so long they weren't giving the opportunity so now it's like we have to catch up i mean it's just the conversation is never ending but i am seeing um progress for sure you know and and giving space and, and, and a voice for LGBTQ plus uh, stories and doing it in a fair and authentic way. I think you need to be able to come from a genuine experience and point of view to really understand a character sometimes, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, absolutely. Speaking of a character, um, who's Nookie Mom? <laughs> Nookie Mom is <laughs> this character I sometimes do. Um, 
<laughs> she's an older Vietnamese lady who tries to keep up with the times, you know, and tries to listen to hip hop and be, um, you know, a trendy and in the loop with the TikTokers and just basically uh, blending with Gen Z, even though she's, you know, well into her uh, 50s, 60s. <laughs> How did Nookie Mom come to be? And when do we see her? Well, she comes alive in the nighttime or when there is like a new song uh, that she likes to comment on. Like, uh, so I grew up with um, two Vietnamese BFFs and I was just so consumed by Vietnamese culture, Vietnamese food. I was always around it. And I remember when Angela Johnson did that Vietnamese nail lady character. I mean, that was like a... A, a moment you know what i mean like people were really into that uh-huh. and um that might have influenced me to do a little some of that on my own i remember i even made a song back in like 2009 uh that was in the vietnamese accent and yeah i mean she comes alive sometimes sometimes i go live with her you know i was at the dance club and the dj say look back at it i was so confused I looked around, but no one there. So then I realized that the two chain song. Look back at it. That means you see the booty that on your own body, and then you do the self appreciation. It's so stupid. Um, but <laughs> no, Nookie Mom. So, so just so you know, Nook Mom, Nook Mom is a uh, fish sauce in Vietnamese, like what you dip egg rolls in. Uh-huh. So I was kind of um, doing the twist, like Nicki Minaj. So it was like Nookie Mom. I don't know. It's 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 a character. <laughs> Can you bring Nookie Mom to campus anymore? Or do you feel as if the culture and the way that we are a lot more aware and sensitive to jokes like that may make it difficult for you to bring her to campuses? Very good question. Extremely good question. I've thought of that. And it's like... It's it's a hard. I haven't really done because even you know the Chinese Beyonce joke that I've done in the past. Like I sneak right. in the Vietnamese accent and then I end up calling out the audience uh, for not knowing the difference. My mom is the Chinese Beyonce in the music video with the baseball bat. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. That's a Vietnamese accent, but you don't know the difference. But. <laughs> And that's the whole purpose that is pure of that, really. torture. How dare you? Uh, We're doing the but, best we can. <laughs> but it's an interesting question because, you know, there's a lot of uh, comics that I uh, look up to and admire for years, you know, like the Russell Peters and the Joe Coys of the world. And they do other accents within the Asian community. And, you know, it's a hit. You know, just like how, you know, I, I've seen... Um, I don't know, like a a Nigerian comic do the Jamaican accent. You know what I mean? Like I've seen um, different corners of uh, a specific community, like kind of make fun of each other. Right. And it's I'm still figuring it out, to be honest, of whether or not, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. You know, I, I, I think about it all the time. I, I mean, to be honest, the Vietnamese one is the only one I know. It's not like I'm doing like all sorts. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the only one I'm actually good at. Um, but yeah, it's like even even you know a, a a Cuban person you know doing a Mexican accent. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it, where is the line? Well, is it cool because we are all part of the same community? Yet I don't know. It, it, it's it's a tough call. You know, it really is a tough call. And, and then you had the 
added considerations, right, of just what Asian Americans are going through in this country over the last 12 right. to 18 months between the pandemic and then obviously the hate crimes that follow. And right. then, of course, Georgia. Right. Oh, my goodness. Devastating. Well, OK, just to uh, top off that conversation real quick, I think at the end of the day, we'd rather make fun of ourselves than have anyone else uh, do that. If accents are going to happen, let us do it and let's, let's do it correctly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think or let us um, make fun of ourselves. Like, we don't need you to make fun of us. You know, I think that's at the end of the day, just taking ownership right over the uh you know, uh, jokes and the culture and like the, the inside jokes of it all. Like, cause yeah, let's be real. Like Angela Johnson doing that today. It probably would not fly. Miss Swan. Listen, that would not fly, you know, on Matt TV, even though I'm a big fan of Angela Johnson, big fan of Alex Bornstein, uh, that would not fly today because they're not Asian and they're doing the accent, you know? So, um, you know, in this pandemic alone, there were over 3000, Plus, I mean, uh, you know, hate crimes against the Asian community, and it's just truly devastating. That Atlanta shooting was really just the last straw, in a sense. We were at our wits end. We just kind of realized, oh, like, they're really coming for us, you know, because, like, there were these hate crimes um, all over. And, of course, you know, with no help from the racist name-calling of, of, of President Trump's doing, that was just the long-term effect. We didn't even realize the long-term effect it was going to have, you know, the negative impact um, that we were going to go through because of that. So cut to the Atlanta shooting, and it's just so... I was just bawling all night. The entire community was just in shambles, you know? It, it's just... It could have been my mom who owns a small local Asian right. business. You know what no, I mean? No, no, like these immigrant mothers who come to this country with one goal, and that's to survive. That's to put food on the table, to take care of their kids, take care of their parents, send money back home. Whatever it is, it's just to ha- keep their heads down and just freaking survive. And this happens. And, you know, society already has such low expectations for the Asian community, for all marginalized community, for all all communities uh, um, who, who live in poverty and, and who are, are people of color and, and who, who just... Have have struggles, you know what I mean? Like the society does not root for these people, and we were just so happy with the bare minimum that we, we just go about our day. And for this to freaking happen, it was just so heartbreaking. And you know, we were just processing, and I was just trying to find a way to express. And the next day, I I, I put out this poem that I kind of just put together. The old me used to let the hatred slide, but now I'm filled with Asian pride. I'm so sick of holding the pain inside. What has this world come to? All this talk about Kung flu. Now my people are getting killed with guns too. It's just so powerful using your voice, you know? And I'm not even talking about me, I'm talking about in general. To be able to own your voice, to be able to use your voice to spread the good word to spread these emotions that have been bottled up for so long, you know, and the ripple effect of like, wow, the community right now, the the Asian community specifically, we're actually standing up when for so long they wanted us to be submissive and silent, you know, we're actually fighting back. We're actually stronger than ever now, you know, which is this weird silver lining of this year, right? We're actually banding together and putting competition behind us because we realize the the common goal of like like getting what we actually deserve and 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 not being mistreated like that completely just 
is the priority right now, you know? So, so we're really just, we're making sure history doesn't repeat itself. You know, it's, it's been really interesting watching the Asian American community rise up to your point. Um, and you sort of saw that sort of happening, at least from my perspective in the LGBTQ community, when it came to dating and the pushback that started happening against the term no Asians on the dating apps. Right. And how people right. would say, well, that's just my preference. Oh, yeah. And it's like, well, it could be your preference, but it could still be racist at the same time. They're not exclusive. <laughs> right. There's a lot of work to be done within the community. You know what I mean? And I'm talking, you know, even within the Asian community, being being inclusive of all corners, you know, adding South Asians to the conversation. You know, yep. like we need to be inclusive in the queer community, you know, and there's not not leave anyone out. That's that's what it is at the end of the day. It's just pushing love. You know what I mean? This whole conversation around people being anti-Asian, like let's focus it on how we can be more pro-Asian, you know? Absolutely. Pro-trans, pro-black. You know what I mean? Like let's really focus on the love of it all and that being the common goal because that's what we all want at the end of the day, you know, to be included and to be treated fairly because, you know, like we've said, nobody's free until everyone's free. Nobody's equal until everyone's equal. And I think... You know, uh, this year was a big learning experience, especially in allyship, you know, recognizing that everyone's experience is different, but acknowledging that, you know, what they've been through is worthy of uh, being amplified and uh, worthy of uh, needing change. And, and all of us can exist at the same time. And, and the mission is love. No Asians, no... I, it's like, why are we saying that? You know, if, if that's not your type, like, sure. You know, behind closed doors, you can limit yourself if you want to. You're missing out for sure. For sure. But the fact that it was like an actual, like, in the in the bio, like, come on. You, you know, and that to me was like the thing, the comfort of of having that out there. Like, I have like a group of of girlfriends and um, that are in various forms of media. And one of the things we like to do is like text each other pictures of like hot guys or whatever, right? We're silly like that. Sure. And I tell them all the time, I will fight you to the death for Dev Patel. Don't get in my way. You will not survive. <laughs> and the idea that someone's right. just like like saying no to like billions and billions of people without like like it's one large just kind of like right. nah. Right. <laughs> it's like what is that? I mean, listen, like that it's truly ignorance and just like how the president was calling, you know, name calling an entire group of people without even <laughs> essentially getting to know us. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's just, why are we limiting our mindset? You know, it's like Asian people are so hot. Asian people are so hot. And you got to tell me, listen, let's go. You know, like oh, love is truly love <laughs> in all shapes, colors and, and sizes and forms. And that's why I really respect uh, a lot of musical artists are, are practicing activism um, in in a special way where, you know, Justin Bieber has Christine Coe as a, his leading lady in his music video. Hold on. You know, we have Doja Cat and SZA with mm -hmm. Alex Landy, this chiseled, beautiful, glowing Asian man as the love interest, uh, the leading man in their music video. You know, just showing that Asians can be the leading love interest, you know, and, and, and so beautiful and hot and not just the mathlete or the nail technician, you know, it's like, 
I think a little goes a long way and that's why representation matters. It's because of how we've been depicted in the media. That's why people have this, you know, like a brainwash of Asians are not sexually attractive or Asians can't hold it down in the bedroom or, or Asians, you know, Asian man can't take care of me. Like he can't handle all this. Like that is BS, BS, BS. And truly because of how Hollywood has represented us, you know, because of how long we were the punchlines, the stereotypes, the supporting characters, the people who don't know English, the people who uh, will let something slide and not, you know, stand up for ourselves, etc. That's how America saw us because of how they saw us on the screen. And that's why Hollywood representation of how behind we are, that equally, I mean, that single-handedly contributed to us getting beaten up. It, and that is a pure fact, you know? That, that was the result of us being poorly represented on the screen. And that's why we need to keep fighting for that change and, and, and progress in, in Hollywood because that will, that will, you know, impact how we're treated on the streets. Speaking of Hollywood, excellent transition by you, by the way. <laughs> um, obviously, we know the success of Nomadland. We know the success of Minari. Um, Parasite, which I absolutely oh freaking goodness. love. I we'll watch that all day, every day, if I could. Out of this world. Um, obviously, was a big hit at the Oscars as well. Do you feel as if the tide is turning? Or, and this is my sense, but I'm curious how you feel about it, is that it's turned to the place where it's okay for you to suffer on screen, but we're still waiting for the joy. Oh, we're still waiting for the joy, baby. I think, you know, I mean, listen, every story is important and every story does matter. I do want to see every single layer of the Asian experience only because we haven't seen any, you know, like we have hardly seen any, right. you know, like from, from Joy Luck Club that came out in the nineties, 25 years until an, an all Asian big studio film, Crazy Rich Asians in 2018. That's my entire upbringing. Right. Entire upbringing that I was convinced that my stories were not important enough to be on the screen. You know, uh, 25 years that I, as an immigrant myself, thought, oh, Hollywood is for Americans. Like, there's no way I'll make it in the biz. There's no room for me. These are real thoughts that I had, you know? So I think there's just so much, there's so much to make up for. And we, sure, we've seen some progress, 100%, but... There's still so much work to be done. Even the fact that The Farewell and Minari were in the foreign category. It's like, what do we need to do to prove <laughs> that we deserve to be here and we're not visitors? You know, just because the, the, the uh, just because we're speaking, you know, a foreign language in the movie. Like, Minari was produced by Brad Pitt's production company. Like, how much more American can you get? <laughs> you feel me? But yet, it's like, oh, they're speaking. They're speaking Asian. Let's put them over here. You know, it's like, what is going on? Like, what do we need to do to prove that we belong here? And that's literally what I do every damn day when I wake up. I tell myself I cannot rest until my people feel fully seen. I can't wait till we get to the point where, ooh, all my Asian actress friends are the Sandra O's. You know what I mean? There's room for all of us. And I believe that. I, I know that because I will not back down. And I, I truly will never stop preaching 
preaching this, the, the passion, the fire within, and, you know, just me busting my booty, trying to make it, you know, uh, as an actress, as a stand-up, as a host, whatever I do, all the things that I do. And, and I just want to be so multi-layered because we're also not a monolith, you know, as a community and as individuals, we're not a monolith. Like, do not put me on a, in a box. Like, I want to embrace and celebrate the intersectionalities of who I am, you know, as this, you know, immigrant, female, uh, Chinese, uh, stand-up comic, bisexual, you know, uh, actress, like, uh, just advocate for Asian life, you know? And I want to just be able to do all that at the same time, and I need Hollywood and America to, to, to let me do it, you know? Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> is is that what life out loud for you would look like in ten years? Yeah. To be able to just oh be goodness. seen as a talented genius as opposed to oh, the funny Asian girl. Right. I think just at the end of the day, I'm just really funny. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, are. I think if you were to just listen to my voice and you don't even know what I look like, you, I mean, you wouldn't even know what to expect. But I, I think we want to highlight the cultural specifics of our experience because it's so specific and it's so niche. It's such a beautiful perspective and experience and journey. We want to highlight that, you know, we want to teach people about our food. We want to teach people about our traditions at the same time, we, we want to normalize just being a human being, being taken seriously in every way. We're funny. We're messy. We're imperfect. We're sexy. You know, we, we yeah, we can be very smart, but we can also be very, you know, <laughs> just like, just pretty and that's it. You know, like we have so much to right. offer, you know, like we're not just one thing and, and we want to be seen as universal and relatable because that's, that's what good trouble is as well and that's why i'm so damn proud and so so just grateful to be on the show because not only is alice this queer asian girl who's like you know finding her voice in so many ways like she's she's dabbling in comedy and she's she's coming out to her mom and and feeling you know comfortable in her own skin and she's trying to you know stand up for herself and not be taken advantage of by her ex by her friends by you know uh her 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 uh, mentors whatever it may be i think that's you know a very specific experience but at the end of the day it's like well who isn't trying to find their voice who isn't trying to you know figure out who they are and what their purpose is in the world who isn't juggling uh relationships and and who isn't still in love with their ex you know what i mean it's like who isn't which you one know, you feel me it's like if i had a stamp card <laughs> for all the exes i'm missing Girl. in my lonely nights i'm close to a free sandwich I, I just literally like, you know, that's what it is to be seen as fully formed human beings and not just checking a box because at the end of the day, we are fully formed human beings. I mean, come on. There's so many boxes that I, I check. It's not a box anymore. Like I'm just out here, you know, and, and just fully living out loud. And I'm so proud of every layer. And that wasn't overnight. You know, that was not overnight because society and the world try to break you down and try to dim your light. But now I'm at this place where I'm just so proud of, of, of who I am. And I can't wait to just keep sharing it with the world, you know? And, and I can't wait to see more of what you have to offer. Sherry, thank you so, so much for your time. 
and your wisdom and your humor and your joy. But most importantly, thank you for your presence. Wow. You are so important. And I know in my heart of hearts, you have me excited for the possibilities. And I can only imagine what other queer Asian Americans out there are thinking when they see you yes. doing your thing. Yes. Thank you so much. The feeling is mutual, my love. The energy you're giving me, like energy is just everything. And and and, and I just, I, I, I could talk to you forever. I could truly talk to you forever. Thank you for having me and having this conversation. Absolutely. And, and giving me the stage to really like, you know, use my voice and, and shine a light on these queer Asian perspectives. Like, it means a lot and it really goes a long way. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, Sherry, for spending time with us. And if you haven't had a chance yet to see her show, Good Trouble, please do. It is so funny and so good. And if you want to see some bad trouble, go check her out on Instagram because Miss Sherry definitely gets her freak on. You know what I'm saying? On the next episode of Life Out Loud, we speak with Trailblazer Senator Tammy Baldwin. Are the voters ready for an openly lesbian U.S. senator? The answer is no if you don't run. As well as human rights campaign president Alfonso David. He said it took you 20 plus years to really acknowledge being gay. I need a little bit of time. And I said, that's fair. We hit up the big issues, the big moments in their lives, and dating. Because come on, let's face it, it can't all be about work, right? If you like the show so far, please give us a rating. Leave a review. That really helps us get the word out. These conversations are fun, they're important, and that's why we want to engage as many people as possible. So please, spread the word. Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson is a production of ABC Audio, produced by Trevor Hastings. Thanks to senior producers Tony Morrison and Robert Cepeda. What's up, boys? Associate producers are David Toledo and Madeline Wood. The executive producers of Life Out Loud are Eric Johnson and Liz Alessi. Special thanks to Mark Anthony Harris Gardner, John Howarth, Kieran McGurl, Elena Genovese Picard, Joel Lyons, Jonathan Fagg, Joyita Bizras, and the Pride ABC and Own Television Stations Employee Resource Group. And a big shout out to Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ariel Chester, Ali Yang, Hal Arnal Thiel, Brian Choi, and Stacia Dushisku. I'm LZ Granison. Girl, wasn't that good? <laughs>